Thanks again to Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas, uh, who <laughs> just doesn't hold back when we talk to him about things like uh, the Independence Avenue Bridge. That's why we like him. It's oh, it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it is a a welcome change of pace compared to some uh, how some politicians do it and some lawmakers do it. So if you missed it, um, the railroad controls the bridge, and that's why they can't just move. They can't just raise it. And so it's more complicated than it sounds. He did acknowledge, however, that perhaps they need to idiot proof it more. Yes. To use his words, not ours. So they are looking at that stuff. And digging down underneath it, unfortunately, you just hit water too soon. And right. you'll end up with a situation where it's going to flood every time there's even a sprinkle. So that's not yes. really a good solution either. Yes. All right. Uh, you heard the story in ABC News. Uh, yet another airline is asking passengers to voluntarily be weighed before they board their flights. It has been a long time since airlines designed seats and, and, and designed airplanes for how many seats they can fit. And like it or not, people have gotten bigger since then. And so airlines, most of them now, a lot of them are reevaluating weight and what the average weight they should use for some of that algebra. People are losing their minds about Finn Air deciding to weigh passengers. And I know it can be a little hard to hear the difference between Finn Air and Finn Air. This mm -hmm. is Finn as in Finland. So it's F-I-N-N-A-I-R, Finn Air. And yeah, they, they didn't, I think they, they made a couple of mistakes. They didn't really explain why they want to do mm -hmm. this because as you said i mean we're bigger people now and it's not even just a matter of girth we're taller than we were a generation ago yeah so those things are all and you know the taller you get obviously the more you're going to weigh even at the same body type so they're dealing with all of this um in the discussions that we've heard about this so far things like fuel consumption have come up that it's not even so much a matter of balancing an aircraft especially a really big one you know, if you're on a 747 and one, you know, the guy next to you is 300 pounds, it's not going to make that much difference. Where it will, though, in aggregate is with the, uh, you know, everybody getting bigger is with fuel consumption. Because the idea is they want to land on fumes. They want to land almost empty if they can. Which I know makes us all nervous. Yeah. We don't want them to do that. As you're circling the airport waiting <laughs> yeah. for a runway to clear going, uh, how much we got left in the tank? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing they're doing is weighing your bags. Because what has changed in the last few years is as more airlines charge you more for checked baggage, and in fact, some charge you for carry-on bags, more people are bringing carry-on bags than they used to. And they're putting more stuff in them. And so, unfortunately, what that's going to mean is because a plane can only carry so much weight, you're going to have it where planes are going to carry fewer people because them combined with their baggage weighs more than it used to. Ultimately, what that means is airfare is going to go up because you have fewer people or baggage fees are going to go up. You're going to have more plane, more airlines are going to charge for carry-on. Yeah, and that means that they're not really, I mean, even when you get there, unless you're not, you know, unless you don't have a carry-on bag or a laptop with you, and by the way, who flies without one anymore, but they're not going to know your true weight. They're going to know right. the combined weight of you and your stuff. So, I mean, I think if they did a better job explaining why they want to do this, what they need that information for, and... Even more than that, who's going to see it? You remember the one with the backscatter uh, radar that they use to uh, to see through your clothes when you go to right. the airport? That caused a whole bunch of consternation because 
the guy sitting there running that machine would be able to see you without any clothes on. And a lot of people weren't happy about that, so they had to make some adjustments to the system. The same thing. I mean, there are so many of us who would rather not say. I mean, I've been shouting it all over the place lately, but but if you asked me six months ago what my weight was, eh, you know, it's not the kind of thing that everybody's comfortable with letting out there. Uh, yeah. What's funny about this, too, is that Finn Air has been doing this for a while. Mm -hmm weighing passengers for some reason it's it's just making news now we talked about it when korean air did this in 2023 and air new zealand which i flew last year did a weight survey last year as well they don't have to do it all the time every so often though they need to go through and make sure that the math is right and that the average math is right sure and, and what i want to know is what are they going to do because as you said this is voluntary you don't have to do it so what are they going to do when everybody says no or when the big people say no. Yeah, because, right, what will that do? That will give yeah. you a lower average than you should really have. It's going to throw the numbers off. It's one thing if the little people say no, but you don't want the bigger people to say no because you'd rather have too much fuel than too, than, than too little. And if, um, I hope that makes sense, that if, if people are underestimating their weight, then you're going to carry too little fuel. You don't think you're going to need as much. Well, you don't want to run out. Yeah. I at least appreciate that they're weighing people and not just counting on people to tell their weight or just going off people's driver's licenses, which they could do. I mean, they could just say, show me your ID. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have a driver's license, All right. um, it won't matter. Now that you mentioned that, let me pull my driver's license. I don't even know if it says my weight. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, and it's, they do. And it's off by, at this point, uh, 55 pounds. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, they could take it off my license, but it wouldn't tell them anything. Most people, when you have to, because that's self-reporting on your driver's license, yep. most people under-report their weight on their driver's license. Yeah. And if you, for some reason, we just don't want it to be real. But if the you true, the true answer, sure. But if you lose a bunch of weight, I mean, when's the next time I have to go in and get my driver's license re-upped where I'm going to get a new one? Oh, two and a half years from now. <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. It's going to tell them absolutely nothing. I, I just uh, I, I think it's there. I can see their reasoning for it, but I just don't think it's going to be a successful effort because we're just way too, I mean, you know, and now that I say that maybe the Finns aren't. Maybe the Finns don't care that they don't have That's the same uh, sort of societal embarrassment about their weight as a lot of us do. Here's the thing. If, if they don't do it this way and they have to just estimate it, you will just have more problems with planes being overweight. When they, you know, when they finally get everybody and their baggage on board, if their estimate was wrong because pe bigger people didn't volunteer or whatever it was, you're just going to have that airline saying, we're overweight. And you either got to leave bags here or you got to stay here. Yeah. Does the, I wonder, does the plane tell them once it's ready to go? I mean, once you're on the runway, is there any way that the plane can tell you, okay, this is what I weigh right now with everybody on board and all the bags and all the cargo and everything else? I don't know. Would you want it to? If it did, that'd be a better way to do it. Cause then you don't have to get, you know, you don't have to ask any individual for it and you're going to get an accurate number. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way to automate this somehow. Mm -hmm. um, like when you, I mean, most people just check in online anymore. But like when you go through security, is there, everybody has to go through security. Is there a way that when they scan your boarding pass, when you go through security, can you step on a little thing well, sure. and it enters it automatically? Yeah, if, if you go through that same thing, that's that same backscatter security thing where you have to put mm -hmm. your hands up and all of that. If you're stepping on a floor that's a scale, well, you've got to. Well, that doesn't measure your carry on, though.
because that's going through, that's going on the conveyor belt. But they could weigh that too. And if they can tie it to you. Or, yeah, or you walk through it once to get, like, when you scan your boarding pass, when you have your carry-on bag in your hand. Yeah. That's that's where they do it, is when you scan your boarding pass, stand on this little thing, and then you go through. Yeah, we can fix this. <laughs> this doesn't feel that complicated give us, to give me. Give us some time. We, we can figure it out, no doubt. Yeah. 913, if the phone lines are ringing, if you want to jump in, 913-586-7798, if you've got some idea about this. And, you know, somebody just pointed out on the text line, and I know this is true because I've driven on those scales before. All the trucks get weighed. I mean, we have weigh stations all over the place mm-hmm. for cargo, you know, for making sure that trucks aren't either overweight or underweight and then would have to explain why. So, yeah, why not put a system in place like that for the airplane itself and just have it as soon as you're at the gate, put it on something that looks like a truck scale and just kind of have at it from there. We can take some calls here. Uh, Mike, first up out of Overland Park. Howdy, Mike. Hey, so I was recently on a flight on a regional jet a couple weeks ago. It was a CRJ-900, for those of you that know airplanes. Um, And we actually got to where we were taxiing, and then they pulled over to the side and said, we're overweight, we need to get the authorization from United to use more throttle and thus use more fuel to actually get the plane going. And so we sat there parked on the tarmac for like 20 to 30 minutes while they got that authorization. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that before. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of that, but I'm not surprised. Do you know? Uh, yeah, they probably didn't tell you. Do you know how they knew they were overweight? I don't. I'm assuming that like so the under the plane, they have sensors for like balance, you know, left or right. for weight. Right. So for I'm trim. wondering if they also have an overall scale. Um, but you know, it's funny, I've been on a, uh, like a 10 person puddle jumper in Puerto Rico and they weighed everything, including my wife's purse before you got on. Sure. Yeah. And in that case, yeah, that's a balance issue. They've got to get you situated on the plane so that it's as even as it can be. Exactly. They said, you sit here, you sit there and your purse goes here and everything, everything got weighed before you get on that little plane. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Hey, Mike, thanks for the insight, buddy. We appreciate it. Yeah, I've been on a Southwest Airlines plane. It was one of the few that wasn't full. In fact, it was maybe a third full. And they told everybody, they they told everyone where to sit. And and they said, it's for that reason. We got to get the balance right. Even on a uh, 737, wow. Yep. Yeah, because it it was fewer people and, and fewer bags. So they had to get the balance right. Because otherwise, everybody would sit up in front. They don't do assigned seats. Everybody would just cram to the front. Which is the worst thing. (laughs) When you're trying to take off, you want everybody, yeah. Oh, not on the front of the plane. Somebody on the text line said there's got to be a way. I mean, the shock absorbers and springs and things like that on the plane should be able to tell them how how much weight they're bearing. All right, we need to get to a break. Everybody who's on hold, if your phone lines are ringing, give us a minute here. We'll be back here in just a couple of minutes on KMBZ. 913-586-7798. 913-586-7798. Finn Air. Finn Air, uh, the airline out of Finland, is the latest airline, and there have been many, weighing passengers. Uh, and it's not everybody. They're going to do about 1,200 this winter, and then they'll do more in the summer because you tend to carry more with you when you travel in the winter. They're weighing people and bags just to find out what average they should be using when they figure out, how much weight they've got per person, and then how much gas they need to carry. Absolutely. And we'll go back to it and bring in Chris in Olathe next. Hey, Chris. Hi. Hi there. I think they're going about this the wrong way. 
Um, they don't trust the public to give them their correct weight, and people don't want to disclose that in front of other people when they're about to board. So why don't they put one of those step-on scales like they do in the veterinarian's office in front of the boarding desk, and you don't even know it. You walk up on the rug, hand them your boarding pass, they see the information that they need, and everybody goes about their business. You know, that's a good point. Did they even have to tell anybody? Right. I don't understand why they're making this so complicated because I want them to know how much weight is on that plane. And I really want everybody to be honest. But but we know better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Chris, thank you. Yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, they could have implemented the system in a clandestine kind of manner. There's no I don't think there's any legal prohibition to weighing somebody without their knowledge. No, my guess is they don't. um, It sounds to me like it could be complicated to have too much information about it, to have updated information for every single flight and then have to decide at that, like usually the plane's already fueled. Okay, do we need to take some fuel out? Do we need to add some fuel? It would make sense to me if they just had an average to work with all the time. And you, yeah, you could. Instead of do we kick people off on this flight? Can we take more people on this flight? That kind of thing. Right, yeah, and you could do that in the way that she just described, if you had that kind of system and it would also keep you, well, you could keep the information separate. You could, you know, keep the information separate from passenger data. So they would just get a series of weights and then right. you know, be able to make that determination. And if you did it for a, this is the way the police here usually get away with things like that. Like, uh, you know, pulling over every fifth car on a DUI checkpoint right. or something like that. If you did it to every fourth passenger, then you're not singling anybody out by by going, okay, that guy looks fat, weigh him. You, you know, it would just automatically do it every fourth time somebody stepped on the scale. I would love to know, um, like, how airlines that do more flights to Orlando or kid popular destinations do that differently. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Because you're going to have destinations that tend to attract more kids. Disney's the first one that comes to mind, of course. Do you count lower then? Do you assume there's a certain number of kids on board and so you can take more adults or heavier adults or more luggage? People usually are going to do those trips for longer. Those are usually not quick weekends. That's yep. usually a week instead of a few days. Like what other what other destinations like that do wow. you count differently for different reasons? Uh, yeah, you're right, because outside of Orlando and maybe Los Angeles, but Los Angeles is going to be watered down because there's so many other reasons to go to Los Angeles. But Orlando in particular uh, is going to be a place that you're right. I mean, maybe a fifth of your passengers are going to weigh half of the average because they're only this tall. Well, like I'm thinking Denver, do you is that average higher because more people bring ski gear with them? Oh, uh, sure. And that's heavier. You know, are there places that... Um, like when I went to Honduras, a lot of people brought scuba gear, scuba gear with them. You know, all that stuff. Are there places that you go where people bring gear and so that weight generally is higher? And so you're either taking more fuel or fewer people. See, now you're, you're making me think, does Alaska Air automatically add 20% mm-hmm. because every time you go there, you're going to bring snowshoes and you're going to bring right. you know, heavy jackets and things like that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and in Finland, yeah. Finland, kind of the same deal. I don't know if you know, they've got some bad weather there and it gets really cold. Yeah. So <laughs> don't be upset. They're doing this for your safety. If you happen to find out that this is uh, this is something that they're doing on a flight that you're on. All right. We'll take a break here. Coming up, we have to talk about this car that was sold and scrapped and why. We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ. Oh, man. Okay, so we've got this next story out of Fox 4. I need some clarification on the law 
and how this can even happen. Woman had her car stolen. Now that's never a good day, right? So when your car goes missing and you know somebody else has taken the thing away from you, it, it, that's a bad enough start. But she was informed days later that her car had been sold and then scrapped and then crushed. So even though they now knew where her car was, she was never, ever going to be able to get it back. Okay. How are we pronouncing her first name, you think? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I was going to take a stab at it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the important part of the story is just that there, there were some things about this that we learned concerning what the law says about what, you know, how the reporting has to be done. Because you would think that before you buy a car – and before you send a car off to be crushed, that you're going to have to check things like, I mean, there's a reason why there's a vehicle identification number, that you would have to check that against the police logs to find out if you were being sold a stolen car. But there are some provisos to that that mean that you don't necessarily have to. This reminds me of the stories that we've done about tow companies that just come up and tow cars yes. without really the authority of the, of the city or the police department. That's what this feels like. Yeah. So she said her 2000 Mercedes M-Class SUV was sitting on the street in front of her house and she came back and it was gone. She got home from work and it was gone. She claims the car ended up at Midwest Scrap Management where a third party sold it and the car was scrapped. Um, she said it all happened before she had the time to call police. It's been crushed, so she can't get it back. Midwest Grant Management says they do multiple checks on vehicles as required by law. As John said, that includes checking for a stolen car report and liens on the vehicles. Missouri law says if the car is more than 10 years old, you don't have to check the title. Okay. By the time she realized the car was missing and able to call police, the car was already crushed. Midwest Grant Management, and this is where it gets confusing to me, they told Fox 4 this woman had accepted a cash offer of $2,500 from the third party for her car. It's the third party we have questions about. Exactly, yes. She says that never happened. It, right, and there's no way for, I mean, if Midwest Scrap didn't accept the car from her and didn't pay her for it, they would be taking their word that they paid her $2,500 and that she accepted the offer and they took the car away from her. But in the meantime... I mean, they may very well have, because she didn't have time to report the car stolen yet, if they automatically just, okay, yeah, check the VIN, make sure it's not stolen. We did, it's not stolen, fine, crush it. If they did that, then does that mean that we need to talk about some kind of a waiting period where you have to, once you've accepted a car as scrap like that, before you take it back to the crusher, you've got to wait three days or two days or a week or whatever before you crush it, just in case that report hasn't been made yet. Okay. Who's the third party then? Who is the third party that sold it that, that was in the middle of this? According to her, it's probably the thief that stole the car from her. But they're, okay. they're disputing that. Now, the fact that they're not named in this article, right. who that third party is, then, you know, it may be an individual. And that would be why, by the way, Fox 4 not being able to verify 
you know, that, that any of these transactions that happened or who's telling the truth may not be able to, or they're, they're just protecting themselves right now by not naming anybody and saying this person's a thief when they don't know better. So Midwest Scrap Management, because the car was over 10 years old, didn't check the title or didn't have to to see if it was stolen because it was over 10 years old. So we don't care, apparently. It's, it's okay. As long as the car's over 10 years old, it doesn't matter if it was stolen. And they apparently don't have like a waiting period for this very situation. If the car was stolen and the, the thief immediately sold it for scrap and was crushed, Midwest Scrap Management apparently doesn't have like a three-day or seven-day in case they were on vacation thing to make sure it wasn't stolen. And that gives you a blueprint. I mean, if you're a thief, right. that gives you an absolute blueprint that says, do what this person is alleged to have done. Whoever that third party was is go steal a car that's more than 10 years old. And when you steal it, right. you drive it right to the scrapyard and say, eh, it's 10 years old. Don't worry about it. You don't have to check anything. I'll take your money. Uh, you know, I paid for the car. She didn't want it anymore. So give me my 500 bucks or whatever the scrap fee is now. And you just go. You just leave. So first of all, why is that a law? Why is why does that law exist? Why that seems like a dumb law to have, and why wouldn't you check anyway? Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it, just to make sure. And if they did, if the only thing that they did was check to make sure that the car wasn't wasn't on the stolen list yet, then it, it draws that idea of a waiting period back into play. Should they be able to do that, or is that an undue burden? If you're a scrapyard, are you saying, look, if I do that, I'm going to have you know 25 cars sitting here gumming up the lot that I've got to wait seven days before I can scrap them. It's just too much, and that's going to be 25 cars a day. You know, so you're eventually going to have potentially 100, what would that be, 175 cars sitting on your lot every single day waiting to be scrapped, and you, you know, all you can do is 25 of them a day. Okay, so what's the solution to that? Because you're right, there's yeah. limited space. I acknowledge that. What's the solution so that a person doesn't come home from work, <laughs> car was stolen, and it is it is crushed 12 hours later? Right. I Boy, I wish I knew. It, it, and I wouldn't mind seeing that kind of a waiting period go into effect. Because, again, you're taking mm -hmm. something that, that belongs to somebody and... I mean, it's it's the second highest dollar item that most of us own, right? Is yeah. Right after the house is the car. And you're taking that and crushing it without doing the due diligence to make sure that that car really did belong to the person who brought it, who brought it to you. And I think maybe that when I think about the things that pawn shops have to do. Somebody's texting about that, too. Yeah. Oh, are they really? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I did that for a while. So uh, that was a seven-day waiting period. And it required every item that had a serial number on it that came into the business had to be checked against uh, against local police logs. Everything, guitars, microwave ovens, if it had a serial number on it, that serial number had to be recorded and checked and could not go out for sale for at least seven days. Most people would notice their car missing. I'm trying to think of how long it goes. The longest I might go without moving my car, sometimes my car is not where I can see it. Um, when I was sick over New Year's Eve weekend, it sat there for three days because I didn't leave the house for three days. Yep. I, that's unusual. I mean, it, you know, most people every other day would notice if their car is missing. So make it 48 hours or just do the title check just in case. No, yeah, absolutely. There's no reason not to. Uh, Jeff and Topeka, we were talking about the whole pawn shop thing. Let's go to Jeff because he's got some things to say about that comparison. Hey, Jeff. 
Hey, guys. Welcome in. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not sure why a, a scrapyard would be any different simply because um, the pawn shops have to hold certain items, anything with, like, serial numbers. But if it's jewelry, they, they have to take pictures and, and hold it. And then they have to get the party's name and phone number and address of who's pawning it so they can show record of who they took it from. So why is a scrapyard any different? They should be, they should have to do the exact same thing, get the name, address, phone number, all of the personal information, and then hold it for a certain period of time. Also be open to random VIN checks by the police, by the local police department. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And Jeff, thank you. Um, he's absolutely right about that. And that's the step that I had forgotten about it is that for that particular chain, the one and there's a whole bunch of them here in town. It's the one for which I worked back in the day. And there is not a single transaction, whether you're pawning something or selling something to the pawn shop or buying something. There is not a single transaction that takes place without you. The very first step is hand me your ID. Mm-hmm. And they record all of that directly off of your driver's license or state-issued ID. Not a single transaction. And, and again, that's in a way to just protect themselves. Now, pawn shops are receiving items that are smaller than cars. Most and of so, the time, yes. Most of the time. If you, so if you have to hold on to something for seven days before you can sell it, that is not as problematic as a as a scrap dealer that has to have their car sitting there. Let me add to that and say that because of that, uh, for most of the, the pawn shops that you go into, what's back in the back, the things that are either on pawn and waiting for somebody to come and, and you know pay the money and get them back, or the stuff that's waiting to go out on sale and waiting to clear police check and things like that, that's usually four to five times bigger than the showroom that they have out front. And that makes sense for that very reason. Yeah. yeah. So if you're talking now, like you said, if you're talking about that with coffee makers and stereos, that's a little mm-hmm. different than talking about that with cars. All right, we can keep going here. Uh, Scott, next up out of KC. Hello, Scott. Hey, guys. So I've scrapped a few cars back in the day. They don't, they, they, they don't wait, but they do take your ID and whatnot. But my thing is, too, is if that car is running and driving, wouldn't you show suspicion if you're pulling up a car that's running and driving scrapped? Especially if you don't have the keys for it. But I also know that if you have it on a trailer and you pull in there, they grab it by the claw off the trailer with the, by the roof, so the car would be junk anyways. Yeah, even if they didn't crush it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, for some of them, if you if you made it the law that said they have to be held for a while before they get crushed, then you could say, yeah, just drive it over there into that part of the lot. That's the holding zone. It, it, it's a fast process. They they don't care up there. Yep. Yeah. Somebody needs. I think somebody needs to make them care. Scott, thank yeah, you. Probably so. Thanks. Yep. Take uh, take care. Uh, let's see. If you have further insight, feel free. And if you know more about this law, why after 10 years you don't have to check the title? What's the reason? What's, why did that pass? Yeah, uh, with all of our cars, we have one that is less than 10 years old. All of the other ones are way past that. So, yeah, we're not unusual in that case either, I don't think. How about uh, Wayne in Kansas City up next? Hey, Wayne. Hey, uh, I'm surprised this actually happened. I scrapped uh, cars, I mean, probably 20 30 cars a year or more and i and i use them and they won't even take a car unless they have a title but they ask for my id they verify the vin number with the title before i even are i'm able to get into the lot to get it unloaded um i mean they're probably one of the best ones i don't know if this one just fell through the cracks but 
you know, it's just like catalytic converters. They won't even take a converter from me unless I can prove I either bought another converter for it and had a title with a VIN number of the car the converter came off of. I'm just surprised this happened at all. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you what the difference is, because if you've dealt with them in the past and that's the way they're doing business already, it sounds like they're doing the right things. But in this yeah, case, it just didn't happen. just let it slip through or something. Yep, could be. And maybe it was a busy day. Wayne, thank you. Yep. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you. How do we keep this from happening? A lot of you are texting in saying, I'm nervous now. My car is over 10 years old and sits out on the street. How do I keep this from happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. So, and that's a lot of metal, and it's a lot of money, too. Uh, I mean, you know, a Mercedes SUV, I don't know if you priced them lately, Jamie. Ten no, year, in fact. Even a 10-year-old? Yeah, we, nope. were, we were looking there. I don't know if it's the same one that she had. There's a Mercedes SUV that's for sale new right now that goes over $200,000. Yeah, I know. I know, right? This, this is like, a universe who's, I have who's no concept driving their of. their house? Yeah. Right. Your house or more. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Crazy. Okay. Off to where are we going? It looks like Brian and Liberty's up next with us. Hey, Brian. Well, like the last guy said, they won't even take cars unless you have a title. I don't know how this one fell through the cracks. It's just, it's beyond me that I go to the scrapyard all the time, but I take uh, refrigerators and stuff like that in. And I just don't understand how this happened because normally they won't take one. They check all the bins and make sure you have to have, make sure you have a uh, title to do it. Yeah. And, and now have you scrapped a car there before? I know you said you mostly do refrigerators yes. and stuff. You have. Yes. Was it more yes. than, was it more than 10 years old? Yes, it was. And they checked the title anyway. But you sure did. I mean, if I didn't have a title, uh, I was telling your guy, if they have to have, if they have a bill of sale, that's when they need to hold the car, you know, to make sure that that bill of sale is an actual bill of sale and that car doesn't end up on a hot sheet. Do you know how long they hold it normally? No. Okay. No, I don't know if they do that. Okay. Oh, you, okay. Do, <clears throat> I see. But I've sold, I've sold several cars to people that scrap them and all they ask for even if, if I did, I didn't have a title for one of them, and it was mine. I mean, it was an old LTD, and uh, I just couldn't find the title. And they made me sign an affidavit of ownership. Okay. And even though I had I signed an affidavit of ownership, you know, I was wondering if they would even get it, be able to get it scrapped. But they did, I guess, so... Okay. All right, Brian, thank you. Yeah, something went wrong here, seriously. And Mm -hmm. now, is there a possibility that the person who said the car was stolen isn't telling all of the truth? Sure, it's possible. So we don't know. It sounds like, I mean, if we're getting this many calls from people saying, I've dealt with them before, and that's not the way they do business. I mean, sometimes things get busy and things get missed, but there are a lot of possibilities here. Uh, we need to get to a break. Many of you still want to get in. Sit with us here for a couple of minutes. We'll be back with your calls next on KMBZ. We'll get back to your calls here in just a sec. Uh, the Facebook page for the Independence Avenue Bridge has posted a picture showing yesterday when the curtain was hit, it was just the east side of the curtain that came down. Apparently, the whole curtain is down now. I need someone who's over there to tell me, was it hit again 
or did crews take it down to repair, repair the part that came down? Yeah, that would be my suspicion, but you never know. I mean, yes. <laughs> if you bet against the Independence Avenue bridge being hit, you're, you're going to lose a lot. So, uh-huh. Yes. Uh, so if you're over that way, let us know uh, which one it is. Many of you want to get in on the uh, stealing the car, not checking the title thing. Let's do it, too. It. Terry in Kansas City is up next with us. Hey, Terry. Hi. Um, I have a story from like five to seven years ago as a local truck driver. I would go into these uh, funeral plots and they would discuss um, the scrap thieves going through their uh, funeral plots and taking the flower cups that were bronze that would be on headstones and clearing out two and three sections of the funeral plots. Uh, stealing the bronze flower cups for scrap and what is wrong uh, with people yeah, <laughs> i don't mean and, to interrupt you terry but wow <laughs> and and the flower uh the the funeral plots were saying the cost to replace that one flower cup not just one but maybe two per headstone was their cost was 90 dollars per cup and so and they were only getting like two or three dollars a pound at the time right and so it was just a despicable group of thieves going around the local funeral plots doing this theft. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's like we were talking about about the bridge. If you bet against people you know, stealing something because it wouldn't be right, you're going to lose a lot. Uh, it's it's heartbreaking, Terry. But thank you. Yeah, that and there's there just doesn't seem to be the kind of oversight that needs to be there. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Uh, let's get Donna next up out of KC. Hello, Donna. Hey, hi. Uh, same thing happened to me about four years ago. Uh, had a Intrepid, a 94 Intrepid, less than 60,000 miles on it. Perfect shape. And uh, my mom had passed away. I was going to give it to my son. And uh, it was parked up in Kansas City, Missouri. He couldn't park it directly in front of where he was living. He parked it in the parking lot, and, uh, yeah, it disappeared. Never did find the car. Never found it at all. Yeah, so. Never found it. I called tow lots, multiple tow lots. Uh, You know, they're telling me that the only way that they could divulge, you know, much of anything was through police police reports. like I said, I never did find the car. Uh, so, and I was told, you know, it's literally not even worth it because they all they do is take them and press them. Yeah. Well, so, D- Donna, thanks. Yeah. I, and that's the fear is that's what happened in this case as well. It's just nobody wants to own up to it. Uh, let's get Phil and Casey on before the top of the hour. Phil, what do you know about scrapping cars without a title? Okay. Let me, uh, I'm going to blow the lid off of this for everybody to hear and can't see. I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this one but i scrap a lot of cars um there's multiple people around town that will buy catalytic converters and all you need is an id sometimes you don't if you do business with them a lot Um, so lots of cars come up missing for that reason another one is most of the scrap yards in kansas city do not require a title you pull up to them uh, you pull across the scale they run the vin they make sure that there's no title loan they make sure it's not stolen now there's loopholes around this um, for some of them, I won't speak on who they are, but you can remove the VIN plate and you have to take a sawzall, cut off wheel, torch, whatever, cut the whole, basically upper dash, you're a car guy, so you know where the VIN plate is. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and, uh, and I don't want to give instructions on how to do it if it's if it's all the same to you. But but right. what you're saying is there are people who will do it. Yeah, and and basically they'll take a car if if you take a car in there with a title loan, um, as long as the car is unrecognizable and they can't run a VIN, they will take the car. All right, Phil, thank you. Uh, it's sad to see and sad to hear, but it does happen. And don't keep your title in your car. Please do not keep your title in your car. Never. Don't. Yes. All right. We'll take a break. Coming up, ever found yourself going off the side of the road? We've all had that moment. We'll talk about that coming up next here on KMBZ.